Our next reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Jesus made fully human. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Back in 1987, the band Deacon Blue released their hit single, Dignity. The song starts with these words. There's a man I meet, walks up our street. He's a worker for the council, has been for 20 years. He takes no lip off nobody and litter off the gutter, puts it in a bag, never thinks to mutter, and he packs his lunch in a sun-blessed bag. The children call him bogey. He never lets on, but I know because he once told me he let me know a secret about the money in his kitty. He's going to buy a dinghy, going to call her Dignity. And I'll sail out the west coast through villages and towns. I'll be on my holidays. They'll be doing their rounds. They'll ask me how I got her. I'll say I saved my money. They'll say, isn't she pretty, that ship called Dignity? 
dignity. It's clearly something this council worker values. He's not treated with respect by the children who despise him for his menial job, but he retains a sense of dignity because of his dream. That one day, with the money he saved, he will buy a dinghy. And when he sails it up the west coast, people will treat him differently. The ship called Dignity sums up his own inner sense of value and how he wants other people to treat him with dignity. I was fascinated to read the Chamber's Dictionary definition of dignity. It's a state of being dignified. It refers to elevation of mind or character, or elevation in rank or place, a degree of excellence or preferment or high office. It's about being up there, either in your own mind or in the eyes of others doesn't talk about dignity being something that everybody has. It almost seems to be a quality that pertains to those who somehow are a cut above the rest. So way back in the 5th century, Pope Leo I told Christians they should recognise their dignity. As sharers in the divine nature, we're not to return to engage in evil conduct and so return to the base servitude of the past. We should be above all that. We have a dignity in Christ that elevates us above the servitude to sin. Union with Christ gives people dignity, sets Christians apart from everybody else. That's all very well, but it's hard to have dignity if if other people look down on you and treat you like dirt. An Indian New Testament scholar has an interesting perspective on that. He says the poor of the Bible are all those who in any way, and not just economically, deprived of the means or the dignity they need to lead a fully human existence. Or those who are in a situation of powerlessness which exposes them to such deprivation. The poor of the Bible are the wretched of all the earth, the marginalised, the exploited, all those who are actually or potentially oppressed. Against the background of the caste system in India, he sees clearly how systems can work to deprive people of the dignity they need to lead fully human lives. How can one of the untouchables have dignity when they occupy that lowest cast the refuse of the human race. So not everybody is given dignity. Not everybody finds it easy to have dignity. But should dignity be a universal human trait, right, privilege? In the 13th century, Duns Scotus talked about human nature having ineffable dignity. There should be something inherently dignified about being human. Everybody, simply by virtue of being human, should, should be treated with dignity. So dignity is a real buzzword at the moment. If you Google dignity on the internet, the first hits are for dignity funeral plans and dignity in care work. And people take it and use it as a brand name because they know that dignity matters. Dignity is important to us. We want assurance that those whom we love, or we ourselves, will be treated with dignity after we have died, or when we are frail and vulnerable. 
We want to be looked after by nurses who we are assured will treat everyone in their care with dignity and humanity, who will understand their individual needs, show compassion and sensitivity and provide care in a way that respects all people equally. So says the website. And that's vital. Last year, the Dignity in Care Commission delivered its report entitled Delivering Dignity, which was written in response to the shocking ways in which older people have been treated, highlighting the abuses that happened in Stafford. Mrs H, arriving at the care home, soaked in urine, dressed in clothing that didn't belong to her, which was held up with large paper clips. She had with her several bags of dirty clothing, much of which didn't belong to her, and few possessions of her own. She was bruised, dishevelled and confused. She wasn't being treated with dignity. In her vulnerability, people were ignoring, taking advantage of or abusing her. And so it's no wonder that Dignitas is the name taken by the organisation that encourages the, the, the practice of euthanasia, enabling people supposedly to end their own lives in the time and manner of their own choosing with dignity. And so avoid all that prolonged debilitation at the end of life. But we don't have to be old or vulnerable to lose our dignity. The other week we watched the Simpsons episode where Milhouse's parents split up and their argument is triggered by a game of Pictionary where Kirk has drawn a picture of dignity and what the picture is is totally incomprehensible to everybody including his wife who's on his team and he is furious that his wife can't figure out what the picture is. He's drawn dignity, he says. Dignity, can't you see that for yourself? And the more he stands on this and the more he asserts his dignity, the more ridiculous he appears. Whoever we are, our dignity is a frail and a fragile thing. Because if it's stripped away from us by other people not understanding or not caring, or not respecting, all we're left with is shame. To some extent, dignity could even be an illusion. The monarchy, elevated to the level up there in terms of social status and respect and honour and, and prestige, and yet all it takes is for the paparazzi to make public images that they want to keep private, for that dignity just to be shredded. A little bit. It is, to some extent, an illusion. Dignity can be a very thin veneer indeed. And the bottom line is, there's not one of us who is beyond humiliation. But we respect those. We look up to those who, in situations of adversity, still manage to conduct themselves with dignity even when others are giving them a hard time or, or writing them off or despising them or discounting them, you see some people who still seem to carry themselves with dignity and that we admire. We wonder how they do it. Whoever we are, whether we have royal blood in our veins or we're a street sweeper in Calcutta, we are made in the image of God. 
And that means it's God's purpose to invest us with dignity. That's the gist of Psalm 8. God has made us a little lower than the angels. He's crowned us with glory and honour. Put all things under our feet. And the psalm takes language that is suitable for kings and monarchs and rulers and the upper class, all that stuff of being crowned with glory and honour, reigning over everything, having all things under your feet. And the psalm says that is true for everyone. Because the greatest of us, the most elevated of us, the most powerful of us, compared with the grandeur of the universe, is still just like a speck of dust. Compared to the greatness of God, compared to the the limitlessness of eternity, what is any one of us? Our life is so short, so fleeting, so fragile, we are so vulnerable. And yet despite that, God cares for us. Each of us is made in the image of God. God wants each one of us to hold our heads high and have dignity because that was his purpose in making us. And yet even knowing that, we're still vulnerable. Sometimes it's because we lack confidence. Our confidence has been undermined by things that people have said to us or done to us over the years and and we don't have the confidence to hold our heads up high. We're afraid of what other other people think, what other people say behind our backs. We we don't feel as if we're worth anything. Some of us are afraid of dying. And those of us who aren't may still be afraid of the suffering that is so often a prelude to death. And if our dignity is really important to us, then it's difficult to cope with being dependent upon other people if we're ill the indignity of other people having to take care of us. How can we be dignified at those times when we stop being in charge of what happens to us? All that talk about reigning and being crowned with glory and honour can ring a little bit hollow sometimes when we're at our lowest. But that's where Jesus comes in. Because Hebrews takes up the language of Psalm 8 and applies it to Jesus. What is the Son of Man that you care for him? Asked the psalmist. Jesus consistently referred to himself as the Son of Man. It was his favoured self-designation. So in Hebrews, the psalm is taken from all of us and applied specifically to Jesus as the Son of Man. Jesus, who in his incarnation became a little lower than the angels for a while and who is now crowned with glory and honour on our behalf. He's crowned with glory and honour because he suffered weakness and temptation and fear and death on a cross. He entered human brokenness. All that strips us of our dignity, he went through that. He became one of us, like us in every single way, sharing our frailty, our vulnerability, our suffering our mortality, our shame. Everything that threatens that claim that we're crowned with glory and honour, Jesus embraced on the cross. 
And in doing that, he became two things. Firstly, he became our high priest. The one who understands us perfectly. Who sympathises with our weaknesses. And in that capacity, represents us to God. We can trust him wherever we find ourselves because he's been there. And he is sympathetic, faithful and merciful. Because he is shared in our flesh and blood, he is God with us and God for us. If you're around this morning, we'll have have focused on Jesus being really God. That's the theme of chapter 1 of Hebrews. The the theme of chapter 2 is Jesus being really human. 100% God, 100% man. God one with us. Us one with God. That's the miracle that Jesus has achieved. And more than that, he's the pioneer of our salvation. A pioneer is one who blazes a trail through uncharted territory for others to follow. And that is what Jesus has done. In going to the cross, he blazed a trail for us through suffering and death all the way into eternal life. And Hebrews says we don't need to be afraid of dying anymore because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, victorious over death, and he is our pioneer. What happened to him is what's going to happen to us. That was the point and purpose of his becoming one with us in our flesh and blood and mortality. He became what we are so that we can become what he is. He embraced our death so that we might receive his life. He embraced our brokenness and our fallenness and our shame so that we might receive the honour and glory and dignity in him that are his. So Hebrews reinterprets Psalm 8 and shifts the focus from it being about our dignity in the here and now, claims that might seem exaggerated given our frailty and our vulnerability and how easily we are destabilised. Do we really rule over everything? Are we crowned with glory and honour? Well, you look around and you, and you don't see that happening really, do you, says Hebrews. But we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death for all of us. One with us in our fear and frailty, dying for everyone to bring us to glory, crowned with glory and honour, ruling over all. Jesus fulfils our human destiny. He realises God's purpose for us, that we should have glory and we should have honour And we should reign over all things. Because in heaven, there will be no illusion of dignity for the select few who manage to project that image of being elevated above the sweaty, dirty mass of the rest of humanity. There will be no abuse or neglect of those who are frail and vulnerable. In glory then, the dignity that belongs to us all, because we were created in the image of God, will be universally recognised. And that will be because Jesus entered our brokenness to shepherd us through the disintegration of these bodies and the loss of our identity and dignity that ensue from that into a place of wholeness where we're crowned together with him in glory and honour. Because he became one with us so that we could become one with him. God's ultimate purpose for us is not our degradation and the loss of all our dignity. 
Because his purpose for us doesn't end in darkness and death. His purpose for us ends in glory and honour and life. And that purpose has been realised in Jesus. And because it's been realised in Jesus, it will be realised for us as well. And we're encouraged to recognise that that is our identity in Christ. So we are encouraged to hold our heads high, because in Christ we are to be crowned with glory and honour. All things will be under our feet. Recognise then who you are in Jesus. Face your future with hope and confidence rather than with fear. Know who you are in Christ. Establish your identity in him. Don't listen to what others say. Don't listen to how you feel in your most negative moments. In Christ, he is the one who lifts you to your feet, crowns you with glory and honour, and puts all things under your feet. You wonder how people act with dignity? When everything is against them, it's because they know who they really are. And they won't be put down by other people's lies or mistreatment of them. Know who you really are in Christ. One exalted to glory and honour. One destined for glory and honour. Hold your heads high. That's not the same as being proud. Hold your heads high. Because you belong to Christ. He's fulfilled your destiny for you. And where he is, we will get to be also. It's good news for each one of us personally. It means that we are called to treat everyone, even the most vulnerable human being we meet with respect, because one day they will be crowned with glory and honour as well. And here right now, Jesus owns us, and then, as his brothers and sisters and children. Dignity. It's yours because you are made in the image of God. It's yours because Christ died to redeem you. It's yours because Christ will bring you to that place of glory and honour where we can hold our heads high in his presence and worship him. The one who died and rose again to confirm our place as the children of God. For eternity and for every day here and now. Let's pray. Lord, you know our weakness and our vulnerability. You know how easily we become ashamed of who we are and what we do, and with good reason sometimes. You know how fragile our self-esteem is. How easily we become scared of what other people say or do. And we're conscious of how fragile our dignity is. Would you assure us all tonight that each one of us is someone for whom Christ died? Each one of us is made, handmade, in your image. 
Each one of us in Christ is destined for glory and honour. Lord, would your spirit witness in our hearts that we are your children. May we take our bearings for our self-understanding, our sense of identity and our dignity from you. And you alone. Because you loved us. You gave yourself for us. You lift us to our feet. You give us life. And you are the one who crowns us with glory and honour. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen.